contracts around the world, right? And reason being, it's like, well, the world has everyone and everything is a corporation now. So what creates corporations, what binds corporations, what allows corporations to do business together and on and on and on. Well, contracts do. Mm -hmm. So contracts around the world, but contracts aren't just written. Contracts are also verbal. Contracts are also implied. Contracts are also assumed. Every single day in our lives, we have a decision to make in moment to moment interactions. Because if we understand that everything is commerce, then a lot of these conversations we're having on a daily basis, these boxes we're checking, these things we're signing, we don't understand what we're actually doing. Welcome to the Conscious Wealth Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Griff. I'm a conscious serial entrepreneur with a passion for wealth creation, sovereignty and natural law, spirituality and consciousness, financial literacy, commerce, investing, and the game of money. I am the founder of the Level Up Collective, a conscious wealth mastermind in which I lead countless others through the process of unlearning most, if not all, of what we've been taught about the world and the game of money, and then relearning what the rules of this secretive game really are and how we can actually win at it. I was incredibly blessed to stumble across many of the secrets of the 1% at a young age. And rather than keeping it all to myself, I'm on a mission to share this information freely with as many people as I can. This podcast is going to challenge the very fabric of your reality. And at times, you may find yourself running up against some of your deepest unconscious belief systems. I encourage you to give yourself grace, keep an open mind, and never just accept what I say as fact. Always do your own research. I never want you to just assume I am telling the truth. I am not here to convince or teach you anything, but rather to reflect back and remind you of things that somewhere in your consciousness you already know. Take what resonates, discard what doesn't, and enjoy the ride. Now let's get started. Hello and welcome back to the Rabbit Hole episode number seven. I'm uh, joined alongside my good friend Jay Griff once again. Jeremy, how you doing? Good, brother. Happy to be here. It's crazy. We've already pumped out, I guess, 6.5 of these things. Yeah, we have basically already doubled what we expected we would produce, which is awesome. Yep. Today's conversation, I think, Jeremy, is going to be probably the most practically useful episode in this series for people in terms of you know actual solutions, practical ways to exit the public system, the debt slave matrix, begin living in the private, begin living by common law, natural law, and all that stuff we've been talking about. Because in today's episode, we're going to talk about how to take dominion over the three jurisdictions of law. And so we want to begin with the preface that we're going to give you an acronym to help you remember and really understand the three basic, most important jurisdictions we're dealing with in law. This is not an absolutely perfect or all comprehensive system, but it is a really helpful kind of acronym to allow you to understand law in a much deeper way very quickly. And so none of what we're going to say today is legal advice. We're not telling you what to do. We're just showing you some options that are available. And if you want to do more research on your own, we're going to give you some resources to do that. And so as we get into this, I want to begin with what the acronym is that we're going to be using today. And we're going to begin with Genesis chapter 1, verses 28, where this concept comes from. 
And in Genesis 1.28, it says, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. So this concept of taking dominion over these three areas of land, air, and sea is what we're going to be taking a deep look into today. These are the three jurisdictions that we're ever dealing with in a legal slash lawful situation in life to be able to understand what jurisdiction you're dealing in at any given time and also how to truly take dominion over those three elements that Genesis, where God tells us to in Genesis, is also super important because if you haven't taken dominion over all three of these jurisdictions in your personal life, then someone's going to be able to take advantage of you sooner or later, and usually sooner, right? So these three jurisdictions, it's not actually written in order, but it's L-A-W, land, air, and water. And if you noticed... That's a convenient acronym, right? For law, land, air, and water. Now, the actual order is air, land, water, but it doesn't make a good acronym. (laughs) But the air jurisdiction is the most powerful jurisdiction in law. Land is the second, water is the third. And so we're going to get into what these jurisdictions actually are from a law perspective and how to take dominion over them. Is there anything else you want to add to that before we jump in, Jeremy? No, I think you did a great job introing that. Awesome. Then as I've been doing, I'm basically going to be letting Jeremy kind of do what he does best and just spitball on these different questions I have written up for him to, and and for me, for both of us to talk about, but just to understand these jurisdictions better. So beginning with air, the air jurisdiction, this is what we call ecclesiastical law, which most of us know as trust law. Trust law is the air jurisdiction. It's the highest jurisdiction of law, the most powerful, let's say. And it is its own sort of law system that has its own language and concepts that is important to understand if you're going to take dominion over it. But let's just begin, Jeremy, by asking the question, what is trust law, basically? And why is it the most powerful jurisdiction of law? Great intro questions. So when I think about trust law, I think about our private right to contract. And when you understand a simple definition of trust is really just a contract between two or more parties. And usually it's involving some sort of a grantor granting assets or some sort of benefits, if you will, to another party. And one thing that not a lot of people know or understand is that Every single, I would say person, but I'll say people or individual has the private right to contract. And whatever the contents of that contract are, or you could call it the corpus of the trust or however you want to say it, whatever the contents of that are, are private. So this is where we get into the conversations of public versus private. In other words, other parties are not party to what's inside of it. And that simple understanding is why we find air at the top of the three acronyms that you listed. We find the most privacy in trust law. Whereas with when we're talking about, you know, something like water, which we'll get into, Admiralty Maritime Law, that's more of a statutory conversation. So those are like some of the basics without getting deeper into it. Trust law is really just the understanding that you can plug yourself into some of these other systems of law, but they tend to be more statutory and you tend not to have private rights that are baked in or inalienable 
And on the trust law side, you do have some of these private rights baked in. For example, a lot of trusts can't be, it's really specific to how you set it up, right? If you go to an attorney and you have a statutory attorney create a trust for you and you think that that's some sort of a bulletproof instrument, uh, definitely not the case. But if you structure things correctly under, let's say, common law, or contract law. It's a very common, for example, for trusts to have baked into them that they cannot be brought before a judge or jury. They cannot be viewed or peered into or pierced by any sort of public entity or institution. Some of these things are just basic rights that we all have access to, but because we weren't taught these things, we tend to think that doing something like that would be illegal or that that's not possible or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that those who are financially literate consider this just basic understanding. One-on-one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You touched on the important part, which is that it's not pierceable by the legal system that nobody can come and interfere with your trust business unless you have mismanaged the trust or behaved unlawfully, then you could get dragged into a court situation for it. But even then, if you're the trustee of the trust, you're not personally liable for the way that whatever assets are mismanaged in the trust, right? There's no personal liability. So it's a lot like a corporation in that, as we said before on this show, the only reason to incorporate anything is to remove liability from yourself. Mm -hmm. right? So you can do business with this kind of fake shield in front of you. For example, police officers, right? There's all kinds of, we see police brutality all the time. And it's like no average person walking down the street could just run up and beat somebody you know, into submission and get away with it. But when the police officer gets sued, the court always finds them innocent and no consequences happen to them because they're like, hey, I'm just a legal fiction. I'm just a police officer. I'm a corporate entity. So I can't really get in trouble. So this is what a trust basically does for us and why it's so important to really live your whole life from trust. And so if we offer one option, again, not a suggestion, just an option available to you, you should be living your whole life through trusts so that you have a shield of defense against the corrupt de facto legal system that's always coming for you. This was a switch that I personally made in my life where I only buy things through my trust now. Everything's under the trust name, whether it's a business trust or my personal trust. I don't buy any assets under my all caps name anymore. It all goes into the trust. I know you've made that same switch, Jeremy. And so I think the reason why, let's look at a trust, right? A trust is three basic parts. There's a grantor or creator or executor, whatever term you like, mm -hmm. the one who establishes the trust. There's the trustee or trustees who are going to be managing the assets that are in that trust. And then there's the beneficiary, the one to whom all those assets are going to be given. So you can see a trust a lot like a will, right? Like leaving a will or writing a personal will. When I die, all my money in my house will go to my wife or my kids. It's basically a more complex and powerful version of a will in a sense. And this is the way that the wealthy, powerful elites on our planet build this generational wealth is that everything they own, all the money they generate is held in their trust and they have a beneficiary, almost always their child, who will be set to inherit everything in the trust when the grantor passes away. And then when the original grantor passes away, the beneficiary gets all the assets, all the money or whatever's in the trust, and then they become the new grantor. 
And then they appoint a new beneficiary, which is almost always their child, right? So generation after generation, the wealth and the assets are being passed down and accumulating more and more. We call this generational wealth, right? Well, this is the way the elites have done it for hundreds of years. And the way that, like we talked about last week, like with Donald Trump, for example, doesn't have to pay any taxes because Donald Trump doesn't own anything. It's all under his trust. This is what the Rockefellers, Rothschild, everybody who has this kind of wealth is living this way. And it's the little secret you've never been told about finances that should have been taught to you in school, Finance 101, but of course, isn't taught to you because that will empower you to live alongside the elites, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know where you were wanting to kind of take this next or if you wanted to get into this at a later time. But as you're talking, you know, what comes to mind for me is like it's important for people to understand that this is a conversation of jurisdiction. And I'm sure we'll be talking about that. But at a simple level, I can imagine some of the viewers are like, how is that possible or how is that legal? Well, the tax laws are what you call statutory. And that means that they apply to statutory man-made entities. But there are other realms, higher realms. That's kind of what we're talking about today. There are higher realms of law that are not governed by man, if you will, or at least not governed by another man, right? They're between you and God, signing with God. And also the other parties that are party to the contract. But outside of that, it's called private for a reason. And so this is how, yeah, this is very much so how the wealthy operate. And it's as simple as there are ways to contract outside of the jurisdiction of the United States corporation without needing to do what's called an offshore trust. Now, that's as much as I'll say about that, but I will say that one more time because I'm sure you're reasonably familiar with the trust space, Aaron. We kind of have this battle of these two sides. We have the people who are like all about the foreign trusts. I think they call them, it's either 88 or 89s or 98s. I'm messing up the words, but it's like what the EIN starts with. The type of trust where you have to call right. into the IRS and they they have these foreign trusts and they claim that they're not from America. And to me, that never really resonated with me. If I have to lie, blatantly lie to go about certain processes, to me, that's not really an integrity. So I never really like gravitated towards that way. But that camp insists that if you're not doing a foreign trust, meaning like claiming you live in freaking Morocco and getting like a 98 EIN, that like you have a statutory trust. And then you have kind of another side who's like, you know, that's completely unnecessary. Any trust is going to give you protection, blah, blah, blah. So there's kind of this whole spectrum. For me, I land somewhere in the middle and what I've come to learn, and it took me a number of mentors and years to learn this, but I will reiterate, there are ways to be completely outside of the jurisdiction of the US Corp and the IRS without needing an offshore trust. And I just wanted to clarify that because like, as we're talking about some of this stuff, Aaron, as soon as we say the word jurisdiction, I already know we're going to be getting comments like, oh yeah. So basically thinking that we're recommending people go set up like offshore bank accounts and offshore trusts. (laughs) That's still a statutory approach. Like usually those really advanced tax structures that, you know, some of the wealthy do, it's like, They have this like 50 step complicated process where they have like an anonymous holding company that's not tied to them that owns some LLCs and then an offshore trust owns all of that. And they create this massive web and it's like, I went halfway down that route. I had mine kind of halfway built and I was like, this is like ridiculously like, what is the point of all that? I was really just doing it to learn the ropes. I didn't need it because I already had done the optimal way that me and you are aware of. Just trying it out. I'm just like, oh, this is a hassle. But that's what a lot of people do. That's the statutory way to do it. And it's the difference between like a 50 step process and like one two step process. 
But yeah, I just wanted to clarify that. It's a conversation of jurisdiction, and you don't have to leave the physical land mass to get out of the jurisdiction. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I imagine that the wealthiest people don't really want to learn how to defend a real common law you know, business trust or whatever. They just want to make lots of money and keep doing what they're doing. So it's easier to just yeah. go offshore. But what Jeremy's touching on is that you want to be careful with trusts because the legal system has also, like with everything else, made a fake version of a trust, a statutory trust that they'll, if you go to a bank or something and are like, help me set up a trust bank account, they'll set up a statutory trust, which is under the legal system jurisdiction and they can tax everything in it and all that. So what we're talking about is the original common law trust, a common law business trust or a common law personal trust that you set up with your own documents that you get notarized and you keep record of so that if you have to go into court, you have your records to show I'm operating out of my private trust. Private is the key word here. So before we move on, I wanted to show why a trust is the most powerful and most honorable type of law jurisdiction. When we did episode one, Jeremy, we did the whole episode talking about God's law being really the backbone of what law is, that it all comes from the Bible and has its roots in Christianity, right? Well, from that perspective, we we can see and understand why a trust is so powerful because a trust is essentially a replica of the Trinity, from the concept of Father, Son, Holy Spirit in the Bible. So the way that, that it's described in the Bible is that the Father would be like the grantor of the trust. So God creates the universe, right? The universe could be seen as God's asset that's held in God's trust under God's law. So God creates the universe, grants it, executes it, right? And then Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is the helper, the comforter, the one who helps lead you and guide you into all truth is what Jesus says. So the Holy Spirit is like God's trustee, the spirit of God that watches over the universe and keeps the balance of harmony and equality, right? So Jesus says, when you know the Christ in you, your true self, you will then have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, right? And the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you. And then Jesus, the son would represent God's beneficiary, right? And we just read that in Genesis 1, 28. This was God's almost like the founding document of God's trust to humanity. God blesses them and says to them, be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, take dominion over land, air, and sea. So that's what God has granted us. So you and I and every living being are the beneficiaries of God's universe, that God has commanded us to take dominion over it in a healthy way, create balance and harmony and order and all of that. And so that's a trust is basically a replica of the design of the universe, right? And it's mm. so it's the most honorable thing one can do to manage the assets of another. It's like an act of honor and service to others. So that's why nobody has a right to sneak their you know, nose into your business and, and start infiltrating into your trusts. It's all in the private, unless of course you really don't know how to manage it and you manage it unlawfully, then that's yeah. the only way you can get in trouble in trust. So it just requires learning some trust law. But I just really like that, Jeremy, of understanding that a trust is kind of like a trinity in yep. the sense that now we understand why we are equally endowed with the same inalienable rights from our creator because we're all the beneficiary and God has entrusted us to manage his assets in the right way. And so that's all that a trust is doing from a very simplistic standpoint is it's a way of honorably passing down your assets from generation to generation. Yep. And this goes back to, I believe it was the first episode we did, right? Where we dove into all of the biblical foundations of 
today's modern day law that we all, most of us are aware of. Yeah, I think it's definitely powerful for people to understand not only a little bit of the practical, which is more of what I was speaking to, but the spiritual and foundational of where these concepts come from. And once again, I'm a big fan of encouraging people to not only read the Bible for spiritual fruit and knowledge, but also to view it through the lens of commerce. And it is not a coincidence that the Trinity holds so much power in the Christian story. And that's the exact same theme that we see when we compare, let's say, a trust to the statutory realm of business creation or operation or protection to a person, right? The other two don't even come close, right? And even like a statutory trust that you touched on, like, you know, you go have your attorney set it up. Not only do they price gouge you, you're going to pay 10K, 20K, 30K, whatever they decide to for some contracts because they're in the know and you're not, right? Yeah. So, you know, they're going to set you up with that. And not only is it governed under statutory law and like your state and federally, but it's still taxable. It's revocable. So it can be brought into a court and ordered that the contents, the corpus of the trust change. I want you to think about that. And it can still be came after. So like, let's say, you know, you're accidentally you accidentally injure someone and they're suing you, whatever, like they can see that that is there and all of that. So it's a very, it's like, to me, you have to ask yourself, like, why do I want to trust and what do I want it to accomplish? You know, at least in our circles, it's become trendy for like, you know, people will hit me up and yeah, I want to trust. And I start asking them a few questions, right? And it's like, they have like, a few thousand dollars. They don't own assets. They don't have property, but they want to trust. I'm like, what? Yeah. So it's also important to understand why do you want it, right? So some of the main key benefits that different types of trusts can offer, but once again, it comes down to the structure. There is no like best or one size fits all. Some people want tax mitigation or to completely exit the tax system. That's a specific approach to creating a trust. Right. Other people want protection. Maybe they've built a good amount of wealth and they want to hide their assets from leeches, predators, entities. AKA IRS government. Yeah. And then other people are just more on like the privacy and legacy building front. You know, they just want to start setting things up, creating something that's bigger than themselves, looping their family into it, estate planning, typical stuff. So there's so many different reasons, but I encourage anyone listening to this who is like, yeah, I'm into that or I want to get into that as they're listening. Definitely get clear on like, why do you want it? And is it the right move for you right now? You know, it'll depend on the answer of why you want it. But Mm -hmm. I just wanted to share that because I do get a lot of questions. Like a lot of people think that we offer like trusts in the LUC, which we don't. We go over the basics, you know, common law contracts, but we don't offer any sort of trust in there. And it's just something I see over and over is like, I'd say 75% of the people who are asking about it, when I hit them with a few qualifying questions, they're, in my opinion, that is not what they should be focusing on. Because And I think that makes sense because like, look at what we're talking about. There are three land, air, water, right? Three dominions. And that is the highest dominion. 
But people want to focus on that before having any semblance of autonomy, let alone mastery, in the lower two realms, which are going to affect most people more often in their day-to-day life. That's my two cents and what I've seen. Like if people don't understand how to navigate the waters, Admiralty Maritime, statutory law, but they're wanting to get straight into the trust stuff, not only is it going to be overwhelming, but it's almost like you haven't earned it. That's been my experience, so... What is going on, guys? I just want to take a really quick break from the podcast to remind you that if you're continuing to receive value from the Conscious Wealth Podcast, the absolute best thing that you can do to support us is leave us a quick five-star review and let us know how you're liking the show. I have literally nothing to sell you unless you happen to feel overwhelmingly inspired to join the Level Up Collective, our wealth mastermind, but I will never sell you on that. And honestly, we turn away about 40% of applicants every enrollment period. I started this podcast to give back and share the hidden knowledge that no one seems to be willing to share publicly, let alone share it for free. I'm sure you guys have noticed that we do not do any advertising of other companies on the podcast, nor do we run ads on our YouTube videos, simply because we're playing the long game with this podcast. We truly want to impact millions. If that resonates with you, help us continue to provide you top tier content by rating the show and sharing it with your friends. Thank you so much for the support. Now let's get back to the show. Yeah, I would agree that it's helpful to learn Admiralty Maritime law first before getting into trust because it's a trust is kind of like, I'll say that ecclesiastical law is kind of like offshoot of Admiralty Maritime law in that mm. it's like another type of contract law. So it's still, we're really just dealing with contracts. So you need to understand the basics of how does a contract work to begin with, but we're going to be giving you guys resources in the show notes below. I'm going to post the two most helpful resources I've personally used, which are Robert Michael from the House of Marcus and David Gradney from CL Trust Solutions. If you want to learn more about trust law, learn how to set up your own trust and whatnot, those are two great resources where you can join their membership. It's like 17 bucks a month to 33 bucks a month, something like that. And you'll get a wealth of, of resources for that price. And you're going to have to just really dive in your own to learn more about this. But the point Jeremy's making there is important that you have to actually have an asset to put into a trust before you can open a trust. So for a lot of us listening, the first thing we should be worrying about is not even, I got to open a trust right away, but let me accumulate in a couple assets first. Let me get some, you know, whether it's you're buying gold or silver, precious metals, or a vehicle or a home, like you want to have something to put in the trust before you start, because that's what actually makes it honorable from like a judge's point of view is that there's actually something in it. If you just set a trust up and you get thrown into court one day and there's nothing in it, the judge is going to know you're just trying to use it for a protection and they're not going to acknowledge it. So there are nuances to this. Mm-hmm. I guess we'll just close out by saying, how does one take dominion over the air jurisdiction, Jeremy? Is that, would you say it's as simple as learning trust law and then eventually opening your own trusts and beginning to live your whole life out of a trust, as we said earlier? Good question. I think this comes back to the tagline that the wealthy understand very well that I've made a number of videos on, which is the illusion of ownership and the Rockefeller quote of own nothing, control everything. It's really a transition in your entire lifestyle. So the way you take dominion over this particular realm, the air, the highest level, is 
learning to no longer operate solely as your person. Yeah. And when we say that, you know, like in our past videos, so many people think that what we're saying is status correction. And I've had endless conversations with people to clarify, I am not preaching status correction. That is one solution. There are many solutions. And hopefully now that people are hearing this, they can understand, for example, going the trust route is a completely different and equally viable solution. I would argue people are going to have an easier time going the trust route than the status correction route because one of them is considered a terrorist group and the other is considered <laughs> like something that all of the wealthy have used for hundreds of years. <laughs> but anyway, so the way we take dominion is learn to live your life not solely as your person. Learn to operate in which, you know, all of your income, all of your expenses, Everything like that, purchases, ownership, it's all done via ideally tax-exempt vehicles, at least non-statutory vehicles that you control, but you do not own. And that word control, what's so important about the difference between the word control and ownership is that there is liability in ownership. There is not liability in control. So if we really sit with that, you should understand power and the value to the air jurisdiction. This is why the wealthy do not want to own anything, right? If you own something, that's a liability. It can be taken from you. It can be held against you, if you will. But that control conversation is very different. So yeah, it's higher level stuff. It's not something I would suggest you guys worry about if you're brand new to this stuff and you don't understand yeah. consumer law, you don't understand UCC, contract law, some of the basics, the FDCPA, FCRA, you've never studied the constitution. Like there's a lot of basics, you know, like don't be diving in trying to understand high level trust law when you don't even know what like consumer credit means or whatever it may be. You've never studied the 10 maxims, you know, some of these more foundational things that we touch on, but definitely work, work towards that because that is a higher level game. And that is the game that you want to be playing in my opinion. Yeah. Don't go to a, a tryout for a major league baseball team until you really know how to play baseball well. Yep. Yeah. It's because it's a lifestyle, right? So I always tell people exactly like, use these other realms. Like I just rattled off five or 10 different other things that to like Use those as like practice because once you like, you know, actually set a trust up, like it's game time and like you're going to be required to show up day in and day out. Like it's a required embodiment to be a trustee. Mm -hmm. Like you have clear duties and obligations, right? You have a fiduciary obligation. You have obligations to act in good faith and honor. You're bound by, you know, the contents of the corpus and all that. So it's like, if you don't even know what I just said, probably shouldn't set one up because I know we're going to have people in the comments like, yo, I'm going to do this immediately. So just realize that, guys, I always recommend people build something worth protecting and who you'll become in that process will allow you to actually be a good steward when it's time. Yeah, I concur for sure. Now we'll probably come back to trust a bit as we go into the next jurisdiction. The next jurisdiction we're going to cover is land. So we have the A of LAW. Now we're going to cover L, which is land. And that's the most would consider the second most powerful jurisdiction of law. A lot of people aren't aware that, you know, when you first get into the common law space, you think that common law is this kind of like ancient law system that's been lost that actually is the most powerful. And now you've discovered it, but no one else really knows about it yet. So you have to live your life in a certain way to mitigate that issue. Well, 
Actually, it's really the second most powerful below trust law, but they're actually kind of the same thing at the same time. And so I'll explain why. Land jurisdiction, when we use that term, is common law. Common law, we could boil down to three components, which is status, property, and equity. Equity is another way of saying your rights. So status, property, and rights is a simple way to understand common law. Anytime you're dealing with what your status is, you know, US citizen versus American national, that's your status. That's a common law issue, a land issue. Anytime you're dealing with property you've bought, a car, a house, land, and you're trying to get the title to that and pay it off, right? That's all under common law, land jurisdiction. Who has title is, is common law. And then your equity or your rights, the rights that are, as are said in the constitution, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. That's your trust with God. So you're already in a trust with God. That's what makes your status the highest status in the land. So we've touched on this a bunch already in this show, but when it comes to status, which is the first component of common law, to understand who you are is the basis for all law. Because if you don't know who you are, then the system will tell you who you are. And guess what? Who they say you are is always going to be in their best interest and in your worst interest. So you really want to know who you are. And this is where we get into the birth certificate, the all caps name, the, the person, the legal fiction. This whole concept is really a status issue that you as a living, breathing being of flesh and blood, man or woman, you were born as the highest status in the land, a national, right? And as we said in the, I think the first episode, we went over the, uh, no, the second episode, we went over the 10 maxims of law. One of the maxims of law is that which one creates, one controls, just like a trust. So that even that comes from trust law. If you created the trust, you're ultimately in control over it. So it was American state nationals who founded this country, who set up the government, who created the government who thought of the structure of the government and the balance of powers between executive, legislative, and judicial branches. American nationals created that government to serve them and protect them and help create an orderly society. So American nationals are above the government's jurisdiction in that sense, where the nationals should be controlling the government and telling the government what to do and what not to do. And do we see that happening at all today? Heck no. no, we don't. We see unfettered you know, tyranny on behalf of the government doing whatever they want, whenever they want, and sort of like, what are you going to do about it, peasant? Well, that's because they created a second status, which we have touched on as well, came from the Civil War and freeing the slaves, 14th Amendment, introduced this new kind of citizenship, which they called the United States citizen. Well, guess who created the United States citizen status? the government. So if you are a United States citizen, you are a slave or a employee of the United States government corporation. You're not an American national. So every time you go into court, anytime you're in a legal situation, they're automatically assuming that you're under their jurisdiction and that they have power and authority over you. Why? Because you don't know who you are. You've confused yourself with a legal fiction, an all caps entity name, 
and assumed its status, which is in fact below the government. But you're not that all caps name is the point, right? You are the living, breathing, flesh and blood, divine creation, which is endowed with inalienable rights by the creator. No one has power or authority over you. But if you don't know that, if you don't know that freedom is an inner state of being that belongs to you inherently, you might just let people order you around and rule over you. And that is what has happened in America and in so many nations around the world is that we forgot who we are. We've bought into this illusion of authority, which we're going to go over in next week's episode. And now we have to wake up to who we are as the living, breathing man or woman, not the all caps name. So this is what has drawn most people's attention, right, Jeremy, to the collaborations you and I have done to common law is that they find out, they get red-pilled at some point by this concept of the legal fiction, the birth certificate, and they realize that they're actually a slave because as we said, who owns the title to something? That's the property, right? Your property is what you have title to. And so guess who has your birth certificate? The government. And guess what that birth certificate is in their eyes? It's their title to you as their property, just like your title of your car is your entitlement, that that's your property. So when people wake up to this, they're like, how do I get rid of this birth certificate thing? And what we have to learn is you don't get rid of it because you didn't create it. You find out who you are. And as you said, Jeremy, you start living as who you truly are. Yeah, you just dropped a lot of gems there. This is definitely more your realm, but I definitely wanted to make sure to touch on this because as you were talking, here's what was what was uh, coming up for me. So you're kind of painting the very broad strokes, higher level strokes of what it means when we talk about status and standing and everything like that. And like the importance of expressing that right in the situation of are you a citizen or are you something else? I want to convey to people a different example of this that is equally as important, which is just really a general required understanding if you want to operate successfully in commerce. And that is the same concept of standing and such as it pertains to contracts. So we've talked about before how contracts run the world, right? And reason being, it's like, well, the world has everyone and everything is a corporation now. So what creates corporations, what binds corporations, what allows corporations to do business together and on and on and on. Well, contracts do. Mm -hmm. So contracts run the world, but contracts aren't just written. Contracts are also verbal. Contracts are also implied. Contracts are also assumed. Case in point, you walk into court, a lot is being assumed on your behalf. So this notion of status and standing is so important outside of just the conversation of who are you in the are you chattel sense are you property sense or are you something else because every single day in our lives we have a decision to make in moment to moment interactions because if we understand that everything is commerce then a lot of these conversations we're having on a daily basis these boxes we're checking these things we're signing we don't understand what we're actually doing And they're the most important thing to me that you can understand about status and standing is that you're allowed to wear a lot of different hats and the hat that you're wearing at any given time will differ and it should differ and it's allowed to differ. And you want to enter each contract, if you will, from the position that will most benefit you, if that makes sense. Great point. So sometimes... And maybe this is where like our perspectives might slightly differ because we are talking about common law right now. And I, you know, most of my work focuses more around consumer law in the day to day with some UCC and contract law in there. But I'll give an example in like the more like consumer law, like debt discharge realm and such. Sometimes 
people are actually, I'll say it this way. Sometimes it benefits people to be their straw man and take on liability, quote unquote, if you will, and be their person. And let's say acquire debt, right? And then they turn around as the natural person or as a non-stagitory fictitious entity as the actual blood and flesh and challenge that validity of the debt. All that changed was their standing, their status, Mm -hmm. who they're speaking, right? So before they're saying, I am the person, I am the fictitious all caps entity, right? I don't have rights. I have privileges. Please take advantage of me. And they're like, oh, we'll gladly loan our money. And then five days later, they're saying, hi, I am the attorney in fact, natural person, blood and flesh on behalf of this statutory all caps entity who you're mistaking me for. And I have full rights and I am expressing them right now in a contractual agreement that you're now contracting to by reading this. And here's how this is going to go. So it's a powerful thing to understand that rather than a conversation of demonizing like person bad, people good, like that type of a thing, like black and white like that. It's like, well, there's a time and a place And the way I teach it is just like, think of them as masks or different hats that you're wearing, and you're going to want to change them depending the situation that you're in. So I just wanted to share that because that is the very nature of the conversation of status and standing. It's always about declaring in a contractual nature, which can be verbal, but no matter what, it's always a contract, even if you don't think of it that way. It's always about declaring who is saying whatever is being said, who is declaring whatever is being declared, who is contracting on your behalf. Those are different ways to think of it. Right. And that's really important to establish. So in Aaron's example, it's I'm an American national. And this is now that it's a different conversation because you're an American national. So it provides the context for the conversation to be guided to the desired outcome. But if we don't establish that first and we just try to do everything else, it's not going to work for us because you're not establishing that status and standing. So that's just how I think of it. There's a lot of carryover. So I wanted to share that example. I like how you said it's important to know who is contracting on your behalf because that is what the birth certificate is and social security and so many other things. This is the important caveat that Jeremy's giving that I'm going to echo back is that it does you no good to just understand this conceptually and like fill out a status correction document. Like affidavit of truth is one of the common ones you hear about in the space. Well, I have an affidavit of truth, sworn affidavit that says I'm a man and I'm not the legal fiction. Like that's all good. It's good to have that stuff. But it's just one piece of the puzzle. And it by itself, it will not save you from the corrupt legal system because knowledge is real power. And so a judge who's a legal system judge wants to test you out and see if you really know what the hell you're talking about. And so if you just you know, show up with an affidavit of truth that says, I'm a man, I'm not the all caps name, the judge is going to take that as a kind of challenge being like, oh, really? (laughs) I bet I could trick you into saying you are in 10 seconds, you know, and the judge is going to go through the hearing and everything they're saying to you is like Jeremy said, it's very deceptive ways of influencing you to agreeing to a verbal contract. We've given the example of, you know, a police officer might ask you if you have a driver's license and if you show it, that's a implied consent. That's your implied consent that you are the US citizen, all caps name that's on that driver's license. So the judge is trying to trick you into these contracts and uh, and many other things, actually. And so if you don't know how to actually declare who you are, 
And if it's not just as normal as if somebody was calling me Jeremy in court, I would be like, whoa, 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 hold on there. I'm not Jeremy, I'm Aaron. And I would keep correcting them as many times as they did it. It would be obvious to me when they were talking to me as a different self. If you can't make that distinction yet as naturally as with your legal fiction name, then you're not ready to go into a court situation yet and try to defend yourself as a man or a woman under common law, right? So this takes a lot of studying and practicing to really know who you are from a lawful perspective and how to articulate that. Because if you don't know how to express your rights, you don't have rights, which we've said a number of times on this show. Yep. That was one of the legal maxims. Right. Yeah, exactly. So we talked about, Jeremy, the idea of how they bond and they trade the birth certificate, the social, anything with your all caps name on it. So for example, like one way that you could go about this, this is sort of Robert Michael's approach, is a really powerful move is to do what Jeremy said. And let's say you take a power of attorney over the all caps name, and you create a trust in its name, the all caps name, and then you claim to be the trustee of that trust. The all caps name is the beneficiary. The government really created that fiction in the first place, but a lot of people put God as the grantor of their trust. Or you can be the grantor and the trustee. There's so many ways you can set it up. But basically, that all caps name is now held in trust. And you are the affirmed attorney of that all caps name. Because again, if you state and claim something and nobody rebuts you with an affidavit, then your affidavit stands as fact in the case of in the eyes of the law. So this is where we, the living, breathing man or woman under common law on the land can actually have a huge leg up on the fraudulent legal system because we can swear oaths. We can sign under penalty of perjury, right? You can actually sign a document. Dunkin' Donuts Inc. can't sign a document. McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, these corporations can't sign documents or swear to anything, which means that they can't refute anything you say under the law. So if you do have a statement of fact on the law that I am the attorney, I have power of attorney over this all caps name, then you can start to go into court in a way more powerful position as the trustee of the trust estate that's in question today. And this is what many people in the common law space sort of take this kind of approach of operating in trust, declaring and knowing your status as a man. And for example, if you know, I can prove with the QCIP number that my birth certificate with my all caps name on it is being bonded and traded on the stock market, on the bond market right now, people are making millions of dollars off of my birth certificate with my name on it, right? That's a financial instrument. I could prove that in a court of law if I had the correct documents to, and then say, this is securities fraud being committed under my name. You know, I'm literally obligated to pay taxes on this money because it's under my name. So there's like multiple levels of fraud being perpetrated on you at the same time. But because you keep going into court to represent the legal fiction, which is what a court summons is, like Facebook, right? Can't go to the court and testify for itself. Mark Zuckerberg has to go to court and he represents Facebook on the court hearing. Well, you're doing that with your legal fiction, right? You're representing a dead fake entity. And so they can accuse you of whatever they want and make up whatever they want. And it's all hearsay, but because you don't have the status part figured out, you know, they can get away with it. Yeah, that's I would love to see a case in which that QCIP gets brought up in court and how they how they react to that and such. But I agree with you. Yeah, it happens all the time. And these are the cases that you'll never, ever see going to the federal courts or Supreme Courts. Like right. they, they, they settle dismiss? these cases yeah, immediately yeah. because they don't want them to become public knowledge. Yeah. But um, I know many people in the common law space that have used these approaches with great success. 
but it's always kind of like hush, hush out the door, moving on, you know, kind of response. Yeah. That's powerful. So uh, final question then, Jeremy, is how would you particularly describe what it would look like to say that you have taken dominion over the land? Well, that's probably where our views may differ. The common law approach is to correct your status generally. Would you agree? Yeah, that's usually one of the pivotal pieces of it. Yeah. So I'm more of the approach of clarifying your status and using playing the game. So to answer your question, the general common law answer is that one would need to correct their status and operate as a blood and flesh natural person only. The way that I teach things is a bit different. We kind of go with the be in the world, but not of the world approach where Mm -hmm. it's like there are benefits to the social. There's a lot of debt there, as you just talked about. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of debt there. You've been taking full liability for it, but not getting any of the benefits. How do we start reaping some of the benefits and then playing things interchangeably? Almost like you're, uh, you got split personalities, <laughs> some bipolar uh, issues going on. But I recognize that, you know, the common law space probably doesn't necessarily agree with that, but that's how me and my community go about things. I think it depends on one's goal. But for those that are, that walk the common law path, it's definitely going to be, one of the highest level things that you can do is going to be status correction. Yeah, because in essence, if you did get into a court situation with debt or something simple even, if you can claim who you are lawfully as a man, not the legal fiction, that's the most important thing. And you truly don't even need any documentation to prove who you are because one of the maxims of law is also the law of self-determination that everyone has the right to say, this is who I am. I'm letting you know. I am not a U.S. citizen. I am an American national. But even if you can articulate it, it's very powerful to then also have a document that is sworn, signed, notarized on public land records or however you want to do that, Yeah, showing that you've also put it into writing that you are not a citizen and you are a national or whatever. Mm -hmm. Because again, that kind of goes back to the trust law, right? It's like you have to put in documentation form by whatever date where you can actually show the IRS that, no, I actually literally notified you guys that I opted out last summer on this date. Revocation of elections. Right. Before the previous tax year. So status correction is part of it, but it's really knowledge of who you are is most important. Being able to express that self-knowledge, this is who I am. And then in conjunction with that is your rights. You, You need to know your rights. You need to know what the law says. You need to know what real law and equity looks like under common law such that you can live that way, right? Because this is what happened in the pandemic was that our rights got trampled over. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. we're on the land. We're getting trampled by the legal system because we don't know our rights. So when you walk into a grocery store and they're like, hey, do you have this? Do you have that? Pokey pokey. And you say, <laughs> no, I don't have to have that to shop here. And they say, oh, yes, you do. This is a private accommodation. And they don't know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. But oh, there's a sign on the door that says there's a mandate. That's all they know. That's all they understand. Well, if you don't understand real law, and you know how to actually file notices and claims, letting them know what the law is and what you're going to do. Almost nobody knew how to do this before the pandemic began. And now it's really great to see that there's these large communities of law enthusiasts now who have put in procedures where if this happens again, we're going to be ready the next time. We're going to start issuing claims and notices of liability right away. And we're happy to take it to court if we need to, if these businesses don't you know, remove these tyrannical mandates. So mm-hmm. I think if, if and when we do see another attempt like that to take more of our rights away, we'll see a much better response lawfully. But this has been something we haven't been good at in the past of knowing who we are and how to express our rights. And that's the land jurisdiction in a nutshell. 
Yeah, I agree. 2020 caught a lot of people off guard. And I think that most of us spent more bandwidth arguing with each other or judging each other or participating in division than we did trying to unify ourselves in pursuit of freedom. Yes, well said. So moving now to our last jurisdiction of water, this is where your uh, element is, Jeremy, where you're going to really shine, I think. Uh, water is admiralty maritime law. We've talked about this a lot on the show. <laughs> well, for good reason, right? We need people who yeah. can walk on water these days. So when we're talking about admiralty maritime law, water jurisdiction, what we're really talking about is contract law or commercial law. Mm-hmm. So I'll just let you begin with this, Jeremy. Where does admiralty maritime law come from? Why is it called that? You're really good at articulating this and have some great videos on it, but just give us like a brief overview of that idea. So the easiest way to think of Admiralty Maritime Law is this is a body of law that was governing ships and shipping. And, you know, think back a few hundred years ago, all of commerce used to be done via ships, right? National trade and international trade, ships coming into ports and everything like that. And so that was really where a lot of this verbiage comes in. Like you mentioned, my most popular video that I've had on the YouTube channel is the etymology video where I get into all these water words. And so if you guys want a more a deep dive, because I'm just going to skim over it. But if you want a deep dive on the water words and how all this came to be with the Admiralty Maritime, definitely it's check out yeah. yeah, the etymology video. People seem to like that one. But yeah, ultimately, so we used to have a system of commerce where, you know, just think before we had roads, highways, you know, we didn't have effective means of land transportation, barter, trade, etc. Especially not international. We didn't have planes, nothing like that. So everything was done on the water. And there was a body of law created called Admiralty Maritime Law, and it was created for the water. And then something interesting happened where it was applied to the land. And that's probably a great kind of talk about and explain because we just talked about the land and we know that the land is common law. And we know that the land is not governed by common law right now, right? Like me and you are standing Definitely on, not. on the land right now, but we're expected to be bowing down to Admiralty Maritime policies and statutes and everything like Water that. laws. Yeah. So it's very interesting. Basically, what they did is they, they concluded that since commerce, the exchanging barter, sale, et cetera, of goods was done on the water and now it's done on the land, you know, we'll just kind of trick the people and usher this in and we'll still apply the water laws to the land. And so, you know, me and you are now considered vessels. I mean, just think about it. I talk about it in the video, but what do we often refer to the body as? A vessel yeah. it is, you know, and then we have these notions of coming out of your mother's womb. That's another water word, right? And her water breaks and everything like that. So there's so many different water words. This is the realm of Jordan Maxwell, but it's fascinating to see. It's one of those things where like once you see it, you can't unsee it. But all of our words, banks, liquidity, Mm-hmm. shipping, everything. There's so many water words related to the financial systems, related to the commercial systems, relating to banking, lending, even me and you, that are Admiralty Maritime words. And so it's not to say like, don't use the word bank or you're casting a spell, but it's just more of a mm-hmm. healthy to understand like, All of these words are water words, not coincidentally. So yeah, that's a little background on the Admiralty Maritime. And and the way to think of it nowadays is just anytime we're talking about anything commerce related, commercial, anything that has to do with for-profit, anything like that, we're talking about the realm of Admiralty Maritime. 
So heavily what I focus on with people in the LUC is around, you know, debt. A lot of people's biggest issues in the 3D realm, especially our people, right, who are more spiritually tapped in. And they decided a long time ago that they didn't want to participate in the rat race the way that most of society does. And that's an amazing thing to do. But what happens is a lot of us decided to unplug so hard that we never prioritized money. We never prioritized working or labor or service in a monetary sense. And so we find ourselves in this 2023 world where you know, cost of living is only getting more expensive. Bills are piling up. Emergencies happen sometimes. We want to buy things for ourselves, et cetera. Food's expensive now, inflation. And debt piles up. A lot of people have debt. We're about 14 billion shy of a trillion dollars of consumer debt. Did you know that? I did not know that. The highest level ever of consumer credit card debt right now. So what you're saying is our government owes us almost a trillion dollars. You could think of it that way. (laughs) I would say that the banks. Right. Yeah. Roundabout Um, way of saying the banks for sure. Yes. Yeah. So highest, you know, record levels of consumer debt tracked like how much is on credit cards and the average APR on those cards, by the way, 24% right now. Average. Wow. So, you know, I really focus on debt because my brand is all about freedom. And of course, spiritual freedom is first and foremost foundational, right? You'll never be free based on external factors. Yep. But given we've, we're already working on that or we already have a sound footing in that, which a lot of our audience does, they're struggling in the, in the 3D realm, right? Yeah. <laughs> they're pretty good in the internal. They're struggling in the 3D realm. So it's all about making people aware that Congress wrote a few powerful bodies of statutory And this is why I probably polarizing views compared to some of your other mentors, because in order for us to reap the benefits of the statutory laws that Congress wrote to protect consumers, we have to wear the consumer hat. And in order for you to be a consumer, you have to have a social or they don't care to protect you. The federal statutory laws are there to protect federal consumers. They're citizens. And if you take a hard right, then you can't really play this game anymore. Right. And there's a lot of 3D fiat debt credit currency to be played with over here. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of more of my realm. I'm more on the investing wealth generation, et cetera, side. But like I said, we use Admiralty Maritime a lot because... That's what the FDCPA and the FCRA are. The FDCPA is the Federal Debt Collection Practices Act and the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act written by Congress. And that's the best body of law that governs all legal debt collection practices. And let me give you a little cliff notes. 90% of what is outlined in there is being violated on a daily basis via the policies and procedures that banks claim to have. So we have this weird situation when you start to get into this realm of dealing with banks and such and potentially discharging things or or at least exercising your rights. Maybe you're not discharging, but at least exercising your rights, asking to be treated fairly per federal law. On the one hand, we have these federal laws that are clearly outlined, right? Like banks have the right to do this. Debt collectors are required to do this in this time frame. They're not allowed to do this. You know, all these different types of specifications. And then you reach out to the bank and you, you quote the exact law and you say, you know, hey, this is, you know, I've become aware of my rights. You know, you have four days to remove this unless you can provide this. And you know what you hear back, Aaron? It is our policies. Mm-hmm. Blah, 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 blah. 
or we have specific standards and regulations around, you know, we take identity theft very seriously, or we take your allegations very seriously. And we've conducted an interview and concluded that everything has been done according to federal law. And so in other words, like we have this system where even Congress is very, very aware that what the banks are doing is threatening the stability of the financial system. It's outlined in 15 USC 1602, where it gets into basically them explaining declaration of purpose of the entire body of law. They explain why did they even make the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act? And one of the main bullet point reasons right there before you get into any codes, it talks about because unfair or fraudulent debt collection practices and credit reporting threatens the stability of the entire financial system and the public's trust. So they're very aware that of what these banks are doing. I think I've like showed you that. Haven't I showed you that code before? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so it, it kind of just lets you know, like usually for my students, it's eye-opening for them to see that because we've been trained to be like, just group everyone together and be like, oh, the government and the bank's bad. But it's like actually interesting to see like the government is not a fan of what the banks are doing because the government would rather run its racket and have the banks chill out because the more the banks try to do their racket, the more the mistrust of the people aim it at the government Yeah, because they're like, you need to be doing something. And so it threatens the stability of the entire financial system. And part of that is a fiat currency that if enough of us lose faith in, it doesn't work anymore. It's literally just an idea. That dollar bill you're holding, it's an idea. It can be gone tomorrow. Right. So it's interesting. That's FDCPA. And then the FCRA, the Fair Credit Reporting Act, that's all about the CRAs. So mm -hmm. CRAs, credit reporting agencies. So that's your Equifax, Experian, TransUnion, everything like that. So that was pretty long-winded. I don't want to go too deep into that. But basically, anything related to cleaning your credit, optimizing your credit, everything like that, you want to become very well-versed in the FCRA laws. And then anything regarding discharging debt or challenging the validity of a debt or getting an old account remedied or getting a late payment removed or whatever it is, that's all in the realm of FDCPA, as well as like acquiring credit and not being uh, declined the use of your own open-ended credit plan and some of this stuff that a lot of us know, but we don't know how to apply it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's my wheelhouse. We focus a lot on the statutory stuff, but I flirt the line, you know, because I'm big on the trust stuff. Common law is very foundational, but you can't really play in the consumer law realm if you're not a consumer. Yeah. So what's going on, guys? We just wanted to take a really quick break from the show to thank you guys for all of the continued support and let you know that we are really prioritizing growing this podcast in both audio and video format. And on that note, we are wanting to connect with you guys on YouTube. So if you have been following along to our podcast on whatever audio streaming service that may be, we want to make sure that we're also connected on YouTube as we are putting out exclusive video only content on YouTube. And we're also going to be doing some giveaways in the near future. So we want to make sure we're connected on there for those of you who would like to be. And you can find us at youtube.com slash official. All one word, no special characters. All right. Thank you guys so much for the continued support. We could not do this without you. Now let's get back to the show. And that's why we said earlier, it's better to control the legal fiction, all caps name, not to be the all caps name. 
you don't want to be it, but you want to be able to control it because then you can still play in the monopoly world with the legal system. And that's really what the water jurisdiction is, right? It's the legal system because the whole legal system, as you've said many times, is based on commercial business. It's all business at the end of the day because a corporation, remember, which is kind of like a shield for a living man or woman to hide behind, a corporation can't do anything by itself or create anything by itself. Right? If you leave the Facebook offices empty, then the business of Facebook basically won't exist anymore. Right? Facebook itself can't just start creating the algorithms or whatever. So living, breathing, flesh and blood men and women do everything inside of the veil of corporations so that there's no liability, so that fraud can be perpetrated you know, unfettered, so to speak. So this is what has happened, in, especially in America, but Canada, Europe, Australia, we see it all over the world, is that Admiralty Maritime Law has been used and weaponized against the people by, like Jeremy said, basically just tricking everyone into getting into contracts all the time. Because yes, common law establishes all of our rights under God equally and can't be infringed upon. So that's a big hang up for the legal system. The way they get around it is, well, that's okay, because as long as we get you into a contract, you know, a contract kind of nullifies the land jurisdiction Because like, yeah, my rights are as equal as Jeremy's, but if Jeremy and I want to get into a private contract where I say, hey, I'm going to be your master, you're going to be my servant, you have to serve (laughs) me 24-7, and hey, Jeremy signed it, he wants to be my servant. Well, now common law can't infringe on our contract and say, well, you're not allowed to be his servant because it's a contract. So you can do whatever you want under a contract. So in a sense, right, Jeremy, contract law, the water jurisdiction could almost be said to be the most powerful of the three because it can be weaponized the easiest of the three. And so you have to have the knowledge of how it really operates to circumvent that weaponization. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, it's tricky because it's not that it holds more power than the others, but like in its true nature and essence, but in the way we see it play out in the world, it does hold a lot more power because it's, I talked about everything is commerce. We live in a commercial society. Everything is, you're always contracting at like every moment of the day. And if you're not aware of that, you're constantly giving up your rights, right? Like you may have trusts or whatever. You may have corrected your status, but you can still be dragged back. They can still try to play with you. They can always contract with you. Exactly. So that's kind of what Aaron's getting at. And that's a great point is like, there's no skipping steps. That's kind of why when we were talking about the trust stuff, I was like, start here, learn to protect yourself in the water, like learn to play the game in the water. It's not that you're going to have the most power in the water because you're not, but it's the most practical because your everyday life, I know it looks like we're on land right now, Aaron, but we're both in a fish tank. (laughs) We're scuba diving right now. We're floating as we speak. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So it's like, you know, there's water all around us and I don't see that changing anytime soon. And so that's where the majority of my focuses were, at least for the first, you know, year or two of of my studies. Um, It was figuring out how to almost like, how to get out of the mess first, right? Mm-hmm. And then when I saw potential solutions, I realized, okay, maybe I don't want fully out of the mess, but I want to know how to get out of the mess if I wanted to fully, at least. I want to know my options. And then I was like, oh, okay. Right when I almost decided to get out of the mess, I was like, oh, well, maybe there's some benefits to, like you said, being able to walk on water. Maybe there's more to the Jesus story of him walking on water than we thought. Right. Well, like that's taking dominion over it, right? Dominion isn't being afraid of it and running away and avoiding it. It's walking on water, right? Taking dominion. 
Yeah. And, you know, the way I see it, we live in a, you know, we have a fiat currency. We don't have sound money. There's no intrinsic value to it. We live in a debt-based monetary system. We live in a fractional reserve banking system. We live in a credit and debt rich society. We live in a, almost all of it's digital, right? Almost all of our money and every debt, it's all just a number on a screen. The Fed can just type new numbers on the screen and all of a sudden M2, the supply of money just expanded and it's like nothing really happened. It's, yep. it's very much so the it's matrix. All fictional. <laughs> it really is the matrix. It's just numbers on a screen. And if all of that is the case, I don't see it practical to be one of those people that's like denounce all contracts remove myself from all obligation to all contracts, stack gold and silver and go live off the land. It's like, I don't know. I don't know that that's like the most empowering position to put yourself in, especially if you want to positively impact others. If your goal is just privacy, then yeah. That's yeah, that's one option for but sure. If your goal is service, then it's like, I don't know. So yeah. yeah, that's been my path. I by no means, you know, I hope people don't misconstrue it whenever we talk about stuff and I explain like, that I'm not all on board with the status correction and stuff. I'm not saying, you know, there's nothing wrong or bad about it. It's just that I value critical thought above all else. And I think a lot of people just want to jump on the bandwagon. The same thing I said about the trust stuff, right? So people hear the word sovereignty. I've been DM'd maybe at least hundreds of times, maybe a thousand times already over, you know, the last year or two about just because they see I use the word sovereignty, They're DMing me, how do I correct my status? And it's just really shown me like these people know nothing. They don't even know what like, they wouldn't be able to define commerce for me. They don't know what an implied contract is, but they're convinced. I saw your video, I'm so inspired, I need to correct my status. It's like, if you saw my video, where in there did you gather you need to correct your status? It's like, I should be offended. Someone else told you that, yeah. Yeah, it's like, so I just wanna give people context. Like, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with correcting your status. I'm saying, do you even know why you want to? Like, Aaron knows why. He's very clear and intentional about why he's done what he's done, what it's got him or brought into his life, Mm -hmm. what it has removed from his life. I love that. But most people aren't Aaron. Most people aren't me. They just want the trust so they could say they have the trust. They just want the status correction so they could say, I'm a free sovereign being. Like so many people in the spiritual space, they just, I'm sure you've seen it, Aaron. They're just like, I need to be a free sovereign being. And it's like, they think that they need to correct their status in order to be that. It's like, first off, you are already are that. Second off, you're bypassing. (laughs) Like there's (laughs) for sure. There's so much more to it, dude. Like you correct your status isn't going to change anything in your day to day. Like you're still getting screwed. Right. Every contract you sign, you still don't know how to speak on behalf of yourself. You don't know which hats to wear and which not to wear. You don't have any access to your own infinite open-ended credit plan. Like there's so many different things that you don't even know how to do. But you're convinced, like, if you just send this affidavit, it's all done. Free. Yeah, you're free. It's all fear based. Like, oh, yeah. quick, I need to change my status because the system owns me. Oh, yeah. quick, give me a trust so I can protect my assets from the system. And you're still coming from fear is the problem, which means yeah. you haven't discovered that you are a divine, free, inherently sovereign being. Then when you get that, your disposition towards all of this changes where you don't look to run away anymore or escape, at least in my experience. You look for the power moves, which as we said, would be something like claiming to be attorney slash agent or trustee of the legal fiction and operating as that, knowing who you are in the matrix, a way more powerful move than just trying to run away from the matrix 
So we could talk about contract law in so many ways and show all the consequences of it, but hopefully we've done a good enough job of that in our previous episodes, that this is the system we're most being abused by, really almost exclusively. So like Jeremy said, it's going to be to your best interest to learn the legal system, Admiralty Maritime Law, because that's where you're going to gain the most freedom because that's where you're most bound, right? You're most bound by your ignorance of that system. So the most bang for your buck is going to be learning how to operate in the legal system. And that's because really, how can you weaponize common law for a negative purpose? How can you weaponize a trust for a negative purpose? There's probably some ways you could, but I mean, common law is Outside the law that- Outside of the SESTK. The is a good example, <laughs> right? right? But like under common law that says all are made equal and it's really the law of do no harm. How do you weaponize do no harm You know, to control people? There's not a lot of ways you can. It's pretty hard to weaponize common law, pretty hard to weaponize trust law, but contract law was almost made to be weaponized. It's such a perfect weapon to use against the ignorant. And so gaining knowledge is- Uh, what's important. And I want to draw this parallel, Jeremy, that at least at the time of this recording, we're seeing a really great example of the power of contract law at work in the recent Ukraine and um, Ohio disaster situation. You know, we've all just been collectively shocked that the Biden administration, after giving $100 billion to a foreign nation, Ukraine, just had the greatest ecological disaster in American history, which is currently affecting millions of people you know, this toxic poison cloud that they basically nuked the town of Palestine, Ohio. And then it's now spreading. It's now in Canada and Canadians are showing videos of the snowfall is all that soapy color because it's filled Mm. with chemicals and it's spreading through like 10 different states, contaminating the water system. It's almost like Chernobyl 2.0. It's it's the greatest ecological disaster in American history. And the governor of Ohio asked the Biden administration, hey, could we get a little help? And the Biden administration said, no, you don't qualify. And then a week later, less than a week later, four days later, Biden secretly flies to Ukraine for a surprise visit and tells Zelensky, we can see that you guys are not doing so hot in this war right now. So we're going to give you another 500 mil. So Biden said no to Ohio, an American, you know, United States territory that they're obligated supposedly to provide for. They said, no, we're not going to help you after they gave a hundred billion to a foreign nation. And then a few days later, they fly to that nation and say, and by the way, here's another 500 million. And we shake our heads and go, are these people just evil? Are they just that malevolent? And the answer is, it's complicated, but the answer is no, it's all business. Yeah. Here's the evidence, right? That the United States is a for-profit business operating under contract law. They're not here to help you or be a government to you. They're here to profit from you. Because again, it's funny, Jeremy, how many times we need to hear this before at some point this is going to land and you're going to go, oh my God. But again, it's because they are a for-profit business, not a government. They're doing business right now through the guise of the military industrial complex, through selling weaponry, because they're all invested in the companies that make the weaponry. It's all about business. So no, they're not technically doing it because they're just pure evil, but they just want to make money. And guess what? There's no money in helping you with your little oil disaster chemical spill. There's a whole lot of money though to be made in a proxy war over in Ukraine. Yeah, that's literally the best example you could have used. I'm glad you went there. We couldn't see a better example. Yeah, the way I'm looking at that, them, like, obviously, people are going to be like wanting to react to that, hearing that, right? Get upset and everything. It's like them giving aid to Ohio 
is an expense. They're a business. Right. You have income and expenses on your profit and loss or your balance sheet. Them giving aid to Ukraine is an investment with an ROI. That's how they look at this. It is an expense, but it's the kind of expense where if you make it, you know, a lot of this is about, and I don't want to go too much into that, but a lot of this is about Russia and the U.S. being threatened by Russia and what they're doing with BRICS. I don't know if you're aware of that, but they're trying to replace the United States as the world's reserve currency, the dollar. And so you have these BRICS nations and Russia's a big one and they're like the biggest holder of gold and everything. So there's a lot going on underneath the surface. But if you look at the media machine lately, they're pumping out all this stuff about something about Russia's committing crimes against humanity. I just saw like Kamala Harris said that yesterday or some shit. They're trying to stoke the flames of like getting people on board with like, you know, us helping Ukraine and all this stuff. And it's like, they're just trying to defend their status and not be overtaken by these BRICS nations, in my opinion. But anyway, all of that's just, to me, complete fairy tale anyway. So it's as simple as, yeah, it's a for-profit company and they would rather invest than have a bunch of expenses, right? There's not an ROI to them to spend the money to clean up that area. There is an ROI to help their efforts in this like weird halfway in halfway out war we're kind of involved in right now. So it is what it is. And that's Admiralty Maritime. I mean, when you see it, Jeremy, when you see that everything is contract law, it's all businesses, corporations doing business with each other. You see a lot of really creative business models. Super Um, creative. How creative is it to say, bro, let's start a business where we'll set up a building at the corner of our street that says federal lemonade reserve or whatever. Mm -hmm. And we'll just say that it's a federal, you know, governmental agency and that they are forced to drink its lemonade at least once a week. And we'll, and they won't know that we're just a business. And so they'll all come and drink our lemonade and we'll have the most profitable lemonade stand anyone's ever made. Like that's what a government is doing. Let's pretend to be politicians and pretend to rule over these people. And then we'll just tax the hell out of them and all this other stuff. Like banks are a business, courts are a business. It's all business, which is what Jeremy means when he says all crimes are commercial. Yeah. Do you think the IRS would let you set up a EIN for a business called like Federal Lemonade of America? I would imagine they probably wouldn't let you use that word. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, you can't use our tricks. <laughs> That's our trick, bro. Yeah. It's exactly like that. It's so funny to think about that. That was my first trust mentor. He kind of like really beat it into my head. Like all of the phrasing, even on these government websites, he referred to all of it as marketing. And I had never heard of it like that. Like what? It's I'm on the IRS website or like I'm on like the any .gov, like yeah. the stuff that it says on there and their name and the way their web pages are structured and the disclaimers they have. He's like, that's all marketing. And I was like, holy shit. I've yeah, never wow. looked at it like that. <laughs> like, uh, business. you know, like even like when you're setting up an EIN, I don't know the last time you've done this, but like for maybe for trusts or yeah. I don't know if yours are EIN, but this box pops up that says like, Basically that like you're going to be required. It's like a threat. Basically, it says like you're, <laughs> you're going to be required to pay taxes on this, even if like you had just set up a charitable donation or a charitable entity or like regardless of entity type, it says like you're required to fill a form S W uh, four and pay tax, blah, blah, blah. And he just like that's marketing. So it's like this. It's like this propaganda machine everywhere you go. It's from the names to the commercials to the uh, little disclaimers that pop up to all of it. It's deep. Yeah. 
Yeah. And once you see it, you can't unsee it, which is the good part. But then you become really aware of your contractual obligations and how to get out of contracts you don't want to be in and how to enter contracts that are beneficial to you. And that's when you can play the game from an empowered position. And maybe that's how we take dominion over the water, would you say? Yeah. Yeah. I think the easiest, let's see, the simplest explanation for how to take dominion over the water is to know the rules, know the game that you're playing and learn how to play it. You didn't make it. So it's different from like common law where it's so simple, right? We've got these few different rules, basically just follow the golden rule and you're good. It's different from trust law where it's like you're party to the contract, like you read it. There's no like fuckery going on. This one is like back to that conversation around like centralization and introducing complexity. There's so much complexity in the Admiralty Maritime System. There's so many laws, statutes, ordinances, mandates, some of our favorite words, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's so many of these things getting pumped out constantly. Congress, Senate, go, go, executive order, go, go. That like, it's too much to possibly keep up with. So people just don't do anything and they get bent over for lack of a better term. And the solution here is like, learn the rules learn what's going on, not for the purpose of sitting in, you know, anger or fear, like we always talk about. Once you learn the rules, you realize you don't need to know all these executive orders. You don't need to know every mandate. You don't, it's not like you have to attack every single one with a different approach. You just have to know who you are. You have to understand the basics of contracts. You have to understand how to recontract on your own terms and how that ping pong works. You have to understand the basics of that thing I talked about with which hat are you wearing when and when to switch the hat when it benefits you. Mm -hmm. Some of these basics, you know, expressing your rights, the basics of affidavits and a matter that isn't expressed or what was that, Maxim? A matter that is not expressed cannot be resolved. That's right. So it's just that the basics of, you know, whether that's verbal or written down, whether that's notarized or not, whether there's a witness or not, some of these very basic tenets that really we've taught on, you know, throughout this series, especially with some of the maxims and such. The UCC maxims could be thought of as that's a pretty good, you know, foundation for people. Once you understand some of these basics about, you know, contracts and how to go about expressing facts and what your rights are in terms of like, once you express the facts, what they have to do in response, you know, and remaining in honor and some of these things. Once you understand the basics, how the game's played, you know, there's no need for fear. Right. Yeah. My people perish for lack of knowledge is what it says. And if you notice the theme in all three of these jurisdictions, when we've talked about how do we take dominion over the land, air, or water, it's always with knowledge, right? You got to know trust law. You got to know common law. You got to know admiralty maritime law. And then you have to know how to express it, how to behave according to it. That's how you take dominion over any of these jurisdictions of law. And so it's very empowering, right? That all the all the ability to take dominion is already in my hands, but I have to exercise that dominion and, and actually do something about it. And I always wonder, Jeremy, if that's not what the baptism ritual sort of represents on a spiritual level. Mm-hmm. Have you, if you've been baptized, you know, you put your arms like this, like a corpse in a coffin. They place you under the water and then they pronounce you blessed with the Holy Spirit. They pull you out and now you come out of the water like a dead entity, right? Like a corpse being resurrected. Mm -hmm. And then you walk back onto the land. It's like the reverse of the birth certificate, right? It's like the undoing sort of spiritually speaking. 
We all have to do that by taking dominion over the water, which is to know and understand the legal system that is at this point in time completely has completely taken over the world you live in. So know that system. And by knowing it, you can transcend it. Yeah. Yeah. I think a funny way of saying it is like most of your audience is very familiar with the concept of being spiritually baptized and what we're speaking to and encouraging you all to look into and consider is the process of being lawfully baptized and (laughs) taking back your, you know, it's like we all understand the the spiritual components of freedom and of being a child of God and being equal and everything like that. But these legal realms, these higher level games, they don't, they don't care about that. There are rules. It has to be expressed. Regardless of how high of a spiritual state you're in, in the 3D realm, there are rules and laws that govern, for whatever reason, man-made law and learning how to sync what you know to be true spiritually and express that in the third dimension is really what you know this entire rabbit hole series is about and probably why we linked up right you're a spiritual mentor and guide for so many and i think that your community is incredible as i've said and super uh, spiritually nourished they're just missing that piece mm-hmm. of why why doesn't my 3d life reflect that more yes and it's like well yeah. Some tricks have been played, but not all is lost. Yeah. We just need to commercially or lawfully baptize ourselves, remove ourselves from the water, learn how to play in the water when we want, but walking on land. Yeah. It's a funny analogy to think about that baptism. Yeah. Well, that's very much why I got into teaching this stuff or just talking about this stuff that a lot of people say is like, you know, Aaron, this is totally out of your niche, bro. Why are you teaching common law and all this stuff? And for me, it's a clear and obvious answer, which is that when you truly know yourself to be free, to be a divine sovereign being internally, then there's a natural wanting of expressing that in the external, in your life. It doesn't feel integrous to know that I'm free and divine and then be a complete slave in the external. It's not a reflection of who I know I am. So something in you wants to be free externally as much as it does internally. But you got to get the internal freedom first before you truly get the external freedom because it can only be a reflection of the internal freedom, right? You can't fake this stuff. And that's what we talk about with the status correction issue of a lot of people just see that as a one easy solution, a fix all, and then I cannot live in fear of the system anymore. And that's not how it works. There is no solution, easy fix solution, you know, one time solution. You have to be responsible, self-responsible. And that's why not everyone's ready to be free, right? No. Not everybody wants to be responsible. Some people hear this and go, oh, I got to like learn law and like start a trust or whatever. What a drag. And it's like, wow, you don't want freedom bad enough to do that? Like you'd rather be a slave than do those things? Crazily enough, a lot of people would. So we have to let them be where they are. That's going to be probably the majority of people still. But there is a a large majority waking up to these truths and wanting to become the free sovereign being they really are in the 3D world. And it's a really exciting movement that has such powerful spiritual connections. Like you can't get into this, like I said, unless you get the spiritual parallels of it. 100%. And that's where I get excited to teach this to people because it becomes another way that we can demonstrate our inner spiritual freedom in a very external way. And 
what a great catalyst is that? What an amazing opportunity the creator has given us to say, hey, you know that you are my child, you are sovereign, you are free. I'm going to give you a great opportunity to express that knowing what we call the legal system, right? Getting free from a matrix that has enslaved you only because you don't know who you are. What an amazing spiritual catalyst. I find it increasingly interesting the more I study it, the more I live it, the more I practice it, the more spiritual it gets. So I would love to invite anyone who still feels intimidated by this or just is still maybe weirded out by it all, it's still foreign to you, just to continue looking into this, studying this, contemplating this. And I think you'll find that there's an incredible purpose for all of us at this current time we live in on our planet, which is under so much tension and strife and corruption. The reason that this knowledge is now really surfacing for humanity is because the divine presence is making it surface. This is let's say, a collective catalyst that the universe is giving to humanity. Do you want to be free? Are you tired of suffering? Are you tired of inflicting evil to yourself? Then this is how you transcend it. You learn who you are and you learn how to be and express who you are. Can't think of something more helpful to humanity than that at this point. And uh, this is what I teach, right? Is service to others, law of one. If I could find a better way to be of service to the collective than this, I'd be doing that instead. But that is how powerful I believe this conversation we're having today is. We're on the exact same page with that, brother. I don't think it's a coincidence that we linked up. And even though I'm not known as a spiritual teacher anymore to most, my path has been the exact same. And it's been it's been incredible to experientially go through the last few years of having already had that spiritual foundation and incorporating this and going on going on the journey of not only learning this stuff but applying it in all three dominions that we just talked about it's brought some of the most difficult but also allowed me some of the most difficult seasons of my spiritual path thus far but on the other side of those has been I've never been closer to the creator. I've never felt a deeper yeah. sense of service and purpose, even than when I was helping people like wake up to their true nature. I feel a deeper sense of purpose in what I'm doing now, known as the wealth guy, because <laughs> that's not actually what I'm doing. I feel a deeper sense of purpose with this stuff, with my own journey and watching other people, like when it clicks for you that like in this 3D realm, you're all powerful just the way you are in the 5D realm. Mm -hmm. We've just been lied to about that. When it clicks, it's like, it's the most rewarding thing ever. And I think that's why we're both, we're both doing what we do. 100% brother. Just like the, uh, the church lied to humanity for a thousand plus years about how powerful we really are as mm. spiritual beings. You know, our, our governments and institutions have lied to us about how powerful we are as even physical human beings, right? So that's the good news. So we hope that you were blessed and enriched by this conversation and maybe learned some things you didn't know and are inspired to either begin or continue on this journey of self-governance and self-responsibility and inner freedom. Because, hey, if you're looking for purpose in your life right now and you're saying, you know, come on, universe, give me a purpose to really help humanity in this time of need. What can I do? Hey, if you find this stuff interesting, there's probably no more powerful way you could be of service to humanity right now than you learning this stuff, you understanding law, 
living it, embodying it, and then teaching it to other people. If all of us could do that, and if we just spent, you know, one person every year that we devoted a certain kind of relationship to really teaching them, assuming that they're interested in their rights and what real freedom looks like and how to exit the, the public system and be in the private. If each one of us just focused on one person per year, like think about how fast that would multiply in such a short amount of time. You know, this knowledge I feel like is ready to burst through humanity's awareness and it's kind of on the forefront of it. So like be a part of that movement, you guys. Like you are that awareness. You're the one who carries it out and can become the mouthpiece for the universe, right? To get this knowledge out to humanity. And I can't imagine a more exciting purpose than that. So just wanted to close out by saying that. Next week, we're going to be talking about in our final episode, I think is the most important topic in this whole series, which is the illusion of authority. We're going to get into some more philosophical stuff in that episode to kind of put a bow tie on the whole series. But in every single episode of the series, you guys, this conversation has been really at the foundation of it, the illusion of authority. And it's kind of the final piece of what really what the matrix is as a psychological control system. It really is this illusion of authority. And so we're going to burst that bubble a little bit next week as we conclude this series. So please stay tuned for that, which will be on Jeremy's channel. And other than that, any last words you want to give us, Jeremy? I hope you all found today's conversation as wholesome and meaningful as I did. It's always nice to dive back into these things that maybe I haven't thought about in a while and be reminded of why I do what I do. And I just feel blessed to share this with you all. So Hope that you each felt the love from me and Aaron. And, you know, we just want you guys to experience what we've gotten to experience and continue to get to experience along the path as we're both, you know, students as well, first and foremost. And like he said, if we could each do that and just, as they say, each one teach one, that's how we do this thing. So it's a beautiful time to be alive and I'm here for it all. I'm grateful. I love it, man. I'm going to use that phrase from now on. Each, each one, one, teach one. one. That's yeah. good. Yep. Yeah. The ripple effect. Yeah, it's powerful, man. And other than that, we will see you next week in our final episode. Peace and love. Peace and love, everyone.